So does anyone know where the word Christmas comes from? What, what's the etymology of Christmas? Etymology is what a word is made up of, uh, the, the source of the word. Christmas comes from Catholics, the Catholic Church, calling it Christ's Mass. So Christ's Mass, Christmas. But uh, every Mass, if you want to call a worship service a Mass, every Mass should be about Christ. That is, assuming that the worship is directed at the God of Scripture. And I'm not uh, making a dig against Catholics. I'm just saying Christmas should always be celebrated. If Christmas is about Christ and not about lights or gifts or cultural expressions, but if the heart of Christmas is about celebrating Christ, then we should always be celebrating Christmas, uh, especially as Christ followers. So that's what we're doing with this series. We're simply saying that Christ is the one that we're celebrating, and uh, we are committed to always be celebrating him. We're committed to making much of him with our lives. So we're in the middle of this Christmas Always Celebrated series, and the last two weeks, uh, to catch you up, if you haven't been here, we've looked at how Christ is always celebrated through creation during week one, and then how Christ is always celebrated throughout eternity last week. So today we're going to look at how Christ, through the scripture, is always celebrated. In every passage of scripture, uh, it points to Christ. It celebrates Christ. So every mass, every, every worship service is, is Christ's mass. It, it's, it's Christmas oriented in some way. So uh, after this week, we're going to spend two weeks kind of looking more at our traditional Christmas stories. You know, the, the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And also the wise men from the east, the magi coming to visit the Christ child. So that's where we're headed. But this is our last week of kind of the big picture. How is Christ always celebrated? Um, and we're going to look at how Christ is always celebrated in Scripture today. So let's pray before we jump into our text. Holy Spirit, you are God and you inspired all of Scripture. You describe yourself as the Spirit of Christ and as the Spirit of the Lord our God. So, I pray that today you would move us to worship this morning as you show us Christ in, in the scripture and show us how all of scripture points us to Jesus. So give us ears to hear and even more, give us hearts to say yes and to obey, to trust you. We love you. Amen. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand for our scripture reading today. Uh, it comes out of Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. So you'll be ready to sit because this is quite, quite a reading. A after, you'll be ready to sit. So here's, here's what Dr. Luke, he was a physician. Here's what he writes in chapter 24. That very day, two of them, two followers of Jesus, they were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Don't worry. They'll tell you what had happened. So while they were still talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? 
And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, to Jesus, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, now it's the third day since these things have happened. So these are the things that have happened that they were talking about. Moreover, they continued, some women of our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. Some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. They, they didn't see Jesus. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, Jesus did, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's almost evening and the day is nearly over. But he went in, so, so he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the, in the breaking of the bread. So thanks, you guys can be seated. So what I really want us to focus on together in this passage is what is this relationship between Jesus and the scriptures? Jesus and the Bible as we know it. Back then, like as this story was unfolding, the scriptures were just the Old Testament. But uh, the New Testament hadn't yet been written. It was unfolding before their eyes. And the first thing I want us to notice about the relationship between the scriptures and Christ is that an understanding of scripture without Christ, it's a really sad place to be. And we see this in these two men who were obviously sad. They, They stood there looking sad is what Luke records. And they were sad because of recent events that Jesus was killed They were sad because their hope had been in Jesus being the redeemer of Israel. But they were also sad because when Jesus comes up to them, they they didn't recognize him. So they continued on in their sadness. And there's a lot of different things that uh, people then and people now can find discouraging in life. Loneliness, injustice, suffering, loss. But if you think about what they were discouraged over, it was the most discouraging of all possibilities. Maybe God really isn't with us. And during Christmas, we remember Emmanuel, God with us. But I think it's also important to connect with the fact that even when God was with them, they didn't always feel like it. And in the midst of their sadness, Christ comes and he, sh- he, so- he shows them a source of joy that they can have long after he's gone. A, s- a source of security, a source of knowing him. And, and that is he led them to understand 
who he was through the scriptures. And Christ is also using the scriptures even today to lead us to understand who he is, to give us a picture of Jesus through the scriptures. And we need Christ to lead us because it's clear based on this passage and others that we just can't do this on our own. We can't come to know Jesus. We can't come to know him better on our own, on our own efforts. We don't lead ourselves. We have to have him lead us. And, and, and I find it interesting that Jesus led them through listening at first. He could have just walked up and opened their eyes and said, hey guys, it's me. Uh, you can believe now. But he led them by listening. He listened even though they were rude. Are you the only one who hasn't heard? Are you the only one who hasn't heard the things that have happened? And he listened even though he already knew what they were talking about. But he, he listened and in doing so, he led them somewhere conversationally. He was leading them to himself. Leading them to himself through how the scriptures all point to him. And that's, that's the last way he led them is he led them by direct teaching. In verse 25 through 27, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So that's the main point of this passage. All of the listening, all of the uh, walking with these guys, seven miles to Emmaus from Jerusalem, uh, Jesus is driving at this point. They all were about me. And this point is not isolated. It's not just this story that says that all the scriptures are about Jesus. Look at John 5, verses 39 and 40. He, he's talking to the Pharisees who know the scriptures super well. And he's saying, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Or in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish, to do away with the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we could also, I mean, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to keep you here all day. Uh, like even Christmas themed, if you will, all the scriptures point to Christ. Like Micah said that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Malachi and Isaiah both say that there's going to be this messenger who comes ahead of the Messiah, who prepares the way for him. And then when we start reading the Gospels, we see, oh, that's John the Baptist. So all of the scriptures, they find their fulfillment in Christ. So here's something that is helpful for me when I'm reading the Bible. Uh, overall, the Old Testament points to Christ. Of course, there's more than just, you know, it pointing to Christ, but all of it points, that, that, the, the overarching theme where, where it's ultimately going is Christ. And then the New Testament, it points backwards. It points, it points backwards to Christ, his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, but it also points forward. It points forward to Christ's return. So you could sum it up like this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers in the Old Testament through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. In these last days, he's made clear that his plan, his purposes have always been about Jesus and that if we want to hear from God, we have to see Jesus. We have to know Jesus. We have to see the connection to Christ.
And so what that means very practically is if you love Christ, if you claim that Christ is your Lord and Savior, we've got to train. We've got to enter in to training so that we can see and hear from God through Christ. Because in these last days, God has spoken. And he's spoken to us through his son. And I say train because it's not going to come easy. We have to stay after it. And you can't be discouraged if one week or one day you read the Bible and you get nothing out of it. I mean, if you feel discouraged, that's okay. But have the mindset of training that this isn't about me proving my holiness or me proving my love for God in this one instance. This is about me being transformed over the course of time. It doesn't come easily. Obedience precedes passion. Obedience precedes passion. We have to obey and then we have to keep obeying and build this habit of obedience before passion is developed in our lives. And, and if you think about it, this isn't unique. You know, if it, I, I doubt there's anyone here in an arranged marriage or, or any, any type of relationship. If you just think about it, like if you get married and then you don't spend time together, that relationship isn't going to grow. It's just not going to grow. Um, so no matter what you want to grow in, you've got to spend time. You've got to make choices. Regardless of how strongly you feel, you must keep making choices for this against that, for this against that. And it's the same way in our relationship with Christ. Whether you're reading the Old Testament, the New Testament, any part of it, the, the goal is to see and love and follow Jesus. And it all points to him. And, and Christ showed his point. He showed that it's all about him by uh, having a couple of miracles happen in this passage, in this, in this story. So Christ confirms his teaching with two miracles. And miracles always point to something greater than themselves. Miracles are like a sign. If, if we met at the sign, we'd all be outside in the cold. But that sign out there on the road, it says, hey, Something's going on in here. Miracles are a sign pointing to something greater. And here's, here's the first miracle, is that their eyes were opened. It was a spiritual miracle that they recognized Jesus for who he is. And then the second miracle, it, it more catches our attention. Jesus vanished from their sight. The resurrected Christ had this ability to appear and disappear. And it kind of sounds like science fiction, but I, I call it science nonfiction because it's true. The God who created the, the universe and everything in it can change matter and can temporarily suspend or modify the laws of physics which he set into motion. So Jesus, he vanished from their sight in Emmaus and then he, he vanished or he appeared into their sight in this room where they were all kind of hiding out and gathering. And so... Uh, to me, it's just, it's just another reminder... We're all living by faith. Uh, we're all living by faith in someone or something. So who or what do we trust? Because if we don't trust the testimony of Scripture, Jesus teaches this elsewhere. If we don't trust the testimony of Scripture, then we're not going to be convinced by miracles. We're not. We're not going to believe the miracles for what they are. And then at the end of this passage, we see that having this correct understanding of, of how the scriptures and Christ are related, 
it, it leads to a right understanding of events. Like after Jesus disappeared, they didn't say, oh my goodness, he was just here and then poof, he's gone. No, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he told us about himself through the scriptures? So it wasn't that they were amazed at the miracles. They were amazed at the one the miracles pointed to. They were amazed at Jesus and how all the scriptures talk about him. And then they just didn't stand there in amazement. They were like, we got to go do something about this. They turned around. They spent a day walking somewhere. They turned around at night. It was the end of the day. They turned around and they went back to Jerusalem immediately is what the text says in verse 33. And then the, uh, they walked into this room and all the, before they could share their story, hey, we met Jesus on the road to Emmaus and here's what he taught us. Before they could even open their mouths, all the other people were saying, did you know Jesus is risen? <laughs> so God was clearly at work in the lives of the other disciples as well. And when you, when you hear me say that the connection to Jesus is there in the Bible, I don't want you to hear me say that it's always easy or apparent to find. The Bible is a really hard book. I, I struggle with parts of the Bible to understand and really grasp what it's saying. Um, but it is there. And I just want to encourage us to value Jesus so highly that we look for him in scripture because we love him that much. And this, this story has been an encouragement to me. Uh, I hope it's, uh, it's fun and encouragement to you. Ch uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a famous preacher in the 1800s, he used this story. Uh, he said, a young man had been preaching in the presence of an older uh, pastor and after he was preaching, he went to the old guy and said, hey, what'd you think of my sermon? The old guy said, a very poor sermon indeed. He said, a poor sermon, said the young man. It took me a long time to study it. Hey, no doubt. He was English, so. Hey, <laughs> no doubt of it, he says. The young man, well, why did you think, or why, why did you not think my explanation of the text a very good one? Oh, yes, said the old preacher, very good indeed. Well then, why do you say it was a poor sermon? Didn't you think the metaphors were appropriate and the arguments conclusive? Yes, they were very good as far as that goes, but still, it was a very poor sermon. Will you tell me why you think it a poor sermon? Because, he said, there was no Christ in it. Well, said the young man, Christ was not in the text. We are not to be preaching Christ always. We must preach what is in the text. So the old man said, don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. Yes, said the young man. Ah, said the old minister. And so from every text in scripture, there is a road to, to the metropolis of the scriptures, that is Christ. And my dear brother, your business when you get to a text is to say, now what is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon running along that road toward the great metropolis, Christ. And I've never yet found a text that had not got a road to Christ in it. And if I ever do find one that has not a road to Christ, I will make one. I will go over hedge and ditch, but I would get at my master for the sermon cannot do any good unless there's a savor of Christ in it. And you might not connect with that because you're like, I'll never preach a sermon. I don't need to... 
understand how a sermon is prepared, but I just think if we want to get, if, if we really believe that all scripture is useful for every man and woman of God uh, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, like 2 Timothy 3.16 says, it's not useful just because it's good advice. It's useful because of the one it points us to. So this is not just something uh, for people who publicly proclaim the gospel or publicly speak. It's for all of us. And, and I found myself thinking as I was preparing this sermon, so what? Is this just a literary game of where is Waldo? Instead of where is Waldo, where is Jesus? Is this just a game and like a skill to develop? And I think uh, that's a great question to ask. So what? And, and here's my answer. It's a number of questions. What does the person need who's struggling with discouragement? What does the person need who feels like they aren't loved? What about the person who's grieving? What about the person who is working their tail off and don't feel like they're appreciated or what they see matters, like it, it's not noticed? What about a person who's overwhelmed and filled with anxiety and has been deeply wounded in their life? Or what about the person, and this was me this week, who finds himself angry when things don't go according to his plan? Well, I think the person who's struggling with discouragement, he needs to know that Jesus is our hope. He needs to know that Jesus is our living hope, that he raised from the dead and he's alive. And that Jesus knew deep discouragement. He went through the darkest of times. So we can know that he's a great high priest who understands our weakness and he intercedes for us. The person who doesn't feel like they're loved, they need to know Jesus loves them. And how did he demonstrate that love? By dying on the cross, the death that you and I deserve. The one who grieves needs to know that God himself grieved when his friend Lazarus died. But just as Jesus rose again, he will raise his people. So when we grieve, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. The worker who feels unnoticed and unappreciated, he needs to know that Jesus is the ultimate boss who will judge and evaluate everything at the end. The person who's filled with anxiety, the person who's been deeply wounded, needs to know Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But not peace in the sense of an easy life, Peace in the sense of he went through incredible anguish so that you and I could know a peace that surpasses understanding in the midst of our own anguish. Or the person like me who finds himself angry, irrationally angry when things don't go according to his plan. That person needs to hear the question that God asked Jonah. Do you have any right to be angry? And then you need to think about the fact, well, who does have a right to be angry? God does. He has every right to be angry. But instead of extending anger, he extends mercy by delaying his judgment. And then when judgment came, he took it on himself. And that's before the final judgment comes to where we can receive this mercy and trust him with our life. So when I think about so what? I think this matters immensely. This matters to everyone. To the person who's been stuck in sin, in an addiction, 
You need to know that Jesus came to set the captives free. That's why we need to see Jesus in every text. That's why we need to celebrate Jesus always. It's because we're going to be celebrating someone or something. Capitol Hill, Hollywood, everyone is going to celebrate someone. And I'm not saying if you celebrate Jesus, all your problems are going to go away. You're going to have someone worth suffering those problems for, and you're going to have someone suffering those problems alongside of you. You're going to have a real help in times of trouble. That's what you get with the living hope that is Jesus. And every single morning, I don't think this way, but I need to be reformed. I need to be reshaped so that I remember my biggest need is not how to be a good pastor, how to do my job better, how to be a better father or husband. My biggest need is Jesus. And so reading the Bible is not just a good thing to do. It's where I can receive life. It's where I can receive him because all the scriptures point to him. So you find who you need in the scriptures because they all testify to him. I want to end with a quote from Jeffrey Thomas, a Puritan pastor who's been dead for like 300 years. And here's what he said. He said, let the word of God break over your heart and mind again and again and again. As the years go by, as the years go by and imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. Often you will feel very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading it until you can read it no longer. Then you won't need the Bible anymore because when your eyes close for the last time in death and never again you read the word of God in scripture, get this, you will open your eyes to the word of God in the flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible whom you've known for so long standing before you to take you forever to his eternal home. This is not something that happens overnight. Years and years and years of training, of choices, of doing this together as, as a church body Sunday morning, as small groups, outside of small groups, one-on-one, text messages, five-minute phone calls. This is training to know and love Jesus with all of our with all of our being. So, so let's pray together. Jesus, we need you more than we know. So in your great mercy, would you just soften our hearts to show us, to show us again afresh how much we need you. And how available you are to us. You're available through your word. How it all testifies to you. You're available to us. uh, Also through each other. As each one of us link arms and, and run after you together. I pray that as we see you, we would worship you. And as we worship you, you would change us.